The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Be Mighty, balancing your money and your time with your hosts, Katie Marley. You know, it's a common thought that we can never balance our time and our money. We run out of money when there are still so many days on the calendar. What are some of the ideas and tools that will help us more efficiently manage these two resources? On today's program, you'll learn how being mighty is the result of transforming one's life. One insight, one choice, one action at a time. Now, here is K.D. Marley, which is K.Mar and D. Lee. Welcome to Be Mighty, balancing your money and your time. My name is Kay Marr, and I am here with my co-host, Dee Lee. Together, we welcome you to our show. Thank you, Kay. Today, we are talking with Peter Jensen, who is, for the past 20 years, has a lot of experience with investing and working with clients to analyze their own situation to determine if they are a good fit for moving into active participation with investments. Peter, thank you for joining us. Oh, you're both welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Are the money and money management issues we face today the same that our parents or previous generations faced? Well, um, generally, people are living a lot longer than they used to be, and company-sponsored retirement plans uh, have been replaced by self-directed retirement plans. So the whole idea of having a pension has kind of gone away, except for a few in the uh, uh, non-private sectors. And so saving and planning for retirement uh, and the health-related expenses occurred during retirement that may last up to 35 years is significantly different than that faced by our parents or past generations. So, Peter, you've been working with finance for quite a few years and I'm sure a wide variety of clients. Can you describe the ideal personality that would do well either working on their own or with a professional as they consider some investing and for the purposes of this show let's let's call the this person who's thinking about it investor you so talk about investor you what's this person like well um i think i'd, I'd add to personality's behavior um because i found that behavior is probably more significant uh and impacting investing than a personality type. That impacts the relationship often. But um, for investor you, um, I think that for people who are considering investing on their own, um, an analytical, uh, methodical, inquisitive mind uh, is a good starting point. Someone who enjoys the research, enjoys tracking things, uh, because that's a, one of the requisite part of good investing. I think um, if they have an even-keeled temperament um, that's been tested, uh, that will help because there's a lot of ups and downs in investing, and how investor you reacts to those ups and downs to a large part will determine their performance. I think if, if a, a person doesn't have necessarily some of those qualities or that temperament, uh, they might want to consider 
working with a professional. There's a variety of professionals available in all different formats. Um, and here the professional kind of works counter uh, what the individual may experience, and they're trained to do so. Uh, for example, um, bad behavior in investing is selling at a low unnecessarily or investing at a high unnecessarily uh, due to emotions uh, or temperament. And the financial professional who is, feels the same way but is trained to do otherwise uh, will not overreact in those situations. So really you're saying that um, one of the benefits of working with someone who's trained is that they can help counter the emotional responses to whatever the investment is doing. Yes, I mean they can acknowledge the feelings because uh, they're real um, okay. and then talk about uh, the impact of acting on those emotions uh, so that the investor, you, can make a good decision. Um, I know as a financial professional, uh, I, we kind of track that investor behavior and use that behavior to our advantage. Um, when people sell when they shouldn't sell or buy when they shouldn't buy, that's an opportunity for a professional to potentially take action. Well, and it, I've also noticed that sometimes people get so tuned in to their investments, they kind of think of them as part of them. You know, like um, the Starbucks, you know, Starbucks is bouncing around. They're going, oh, look what Starbucks did to me. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, with few exceptions, I guess, unless they're people, um, stocks don't know that you own them. You know, whatever the investment <laughs> is. Um, and they don't have your best or your worst intentions in mind when they do things. <laughs> so when you actually start working with a new client, how do you help them analyze their specific financial situations? So some people look at this as a whole scary area. You know, they want to go, They maybe, maybe they don't want to go there, but they do. Um, how do you actually work, work with these clients? Well, that's absolutely true. Uh, and it, it kind of depends uh, whether they're an individual or a couple. Uh, often, couples will have different points of view on that, um, often, but not always uh, in a couple. Um, the spouse of the person who's come to see us is more interested in getting handled of the, you know, uh, their individual financial situation and, and drags the other party to us, so to speak. <laughs> um, and, and so that's a delicate operation, balancing that. But one way we try to do it is to be a gentle and um, in, in our, in general, I say, in, in our investigative process, and just beginning right away with, and these are terminologies people may or may not be familiar with, but we want to take a look at their net worth. In other words, except for the house they live in, which they may or may not own, what are the sum total of all their assets if we had to put a figure on that? And then we ask about, of those assets, how much could you get your hands on if you needed to? That's what we call liquid net worth. Um, we ask them about their income. Some investments uh, are, require a certain level of income to invest in. And then we ask them about their other investments if they have any. Do they have a retirement plan at work? Those kinds of things. Have they invested before? So you can kind of get a sense of where they are, the status of the client when they walk in the door. If they have other brokerage accounts or something, we ask to see those. Um, then we take a look at their debt situation. In other words, what they own, their mortgage, uh, if it's applicable, car payments, uh, do they have kids in college, other kinds of expenses to kind of get, if you will, a balance sheet with quotes around that for the investor before we talk about anything about investing. 
Um, if their need is more pronounced, in other words, if you have to do more investigative kinds of stuff, that may require f- formal financial planning, which is different than that broad general discussion I just mentioned. So when you actually expand into a financial planner relationship um, and they actually are hired, how much does this usually cost? Because a lot of people don't, I think, really have a clue as to how this all works. Well, there are very, they're very, mo- very models out there for this process. Uh, in our own case, um, again, if we just broaden the discussion uh, by asking them to give us some information as to a budget, uh, how they're expanding, if they got to do homework, basically, um, there's no charge for that, typically. Um, if they require formal financial planning, which most people do not, um, then it can be anywhere from somebody spending hours or weeks on that plan, and the cost is kind of in proportion to that. Um, formal financial planners, many have what they have a designation called CFP, which is Certified Financial Planners. That is their business. You go to them, um, you pay for their services, and the fee may range anywhere from $3,000 to $10,000 for a financial plan. Um, again, depending how exhaustive it is. And some of those uh, financial planners may deduct some of those fees if the investor decides to invest with them. And some are strictly uh, only charged for the plan and don't handle investments. So there's a variety of models out there. But for the most part, um, most initial financial discussions and getting an understanding for the investor as well as for us don't involve formal financial planning. Okay. So... I guess what I'm hearing you say is that um, the financial planning piece is very separate from the investing piece. Is that correct? It can be. You need to have a good idea, both the investor and the advisor need to have a good idea if an investment is appropriate for the client relative to their overall financial situation. It's one of the key determinants in what is appropriate. So we need to get that, uh, at least in a general way, nailed down. I think sometimes the process, the discovery process of asking questions um, make people think a little deeper about their financial situation, and that's good. Um, it could be, you know, upcoming expenses they haven't thought about, but that money probably shouldn't be put to work in something that may have a higher level of risk, those kinds of things. So, um, again, it kind of depends on the homework uh, that the client has done and uh, if they've done other kinds of planning uh, such as wills and trusts and uh, uh, power of attorneys and those kinds of things. So there really, it sounds like there's a whole slew of things. I mean, we've talked about the financial planning. You mentioned wills and trusts and looking at upcoming expenses. Are there any other things that somebody needs to look about or look at before they start really seriously looking at investing? Well, this is a, yes, um, there's a major one, but it's a tough one as well, and not often done, um, and, and understandably so. But most of that takes place between couples. And, you know, what, they, couples may have varying goals, they may have varying appetites for risk, they may have various levels of understanding of stuff. And the, the more that they can talk about that, and come to some kind of mutual decision on how to proceed, the better that couple uh, will handle the investing process. Um, You know, it could be that one person has zero appetite for risk and the other is very aggressive. 
uh, with an advisor working with those individuals, it's going to be bifurcated um, and difficult on at least all three of the parties. So do you find that in your to-do list when you're working, you might want a line item called marriage counselor? (laughs) (laughs) We do a lot of things informally here. Um, and, and, and most of us have only uh, direct experience, no professional experience in this. But, I mean, I think, you know, it, part of the process is to explain things to both parties. And then I think uh, over time we've learned to do what we consider the second step in that process, which is asking them to explain it to us. Perfect. And then we check. We can, that gives us a level of understanding. And then we can ask the question, you know, how do you feel about that? And we can try to get behind some of the feelings as best we can on that. And if it's a, you know, a feeling based on something that's not real, we'll try to you know, eliminate that. Uh, but if it's something that is going to really hound the individual, um, we'll have to address it. Well, it might be like a ref- you know, referee in between sometimes, maybe. Yes, well, sometimes that's the case. I think um, that's the initial stage where people may not have done this. Maybe they haven't done it together. Um, They have no experience with this. Um, As clients get experience working with themselves, working with the advisor, that tends to go away. Um, Often that what happens, and I think it's unfortunate, is one or other of the parties takes the role of reacting with the uh, investment professional, and that's not good. Um, It's best if... Uh, if both parties are involved and, and pretty much we require it at least uh, you know a couple times a year that we meet with both. So uh, um, in the market, there's also lots of discussion of what they call in the financial word of goals, financial goals that need to be considered. Um, could you please explain in layman terms this what how this actually uh, should be approached? As it can be very confusing and, and perhaps um, check in on the, the type of age levels that um, someone needs to really be thinking of this and how they would how different that would be for in, investing. Yeah, it, it's a major component. I mean, often if, if, if a question is not asked sometimes by the uh, investment professional in the initial meetings, and that really is, what do you want this money to accomplish? And if the client often has a vague sense they should be doing it because they should be doing it, whether it's for investing for retirement or what it may, may mean, but it hasn't gone the step, second step to kind of bring that goal in a personalized way to what they want it to do. In other words, what does, for what kind of retirement or for what? And so I think more you can kind of get behind what their what they what their stated goals are, and try to dig a little bit to what they're actually looking to do. Which, when I mentioned as couples, may be different, which is sometimes competing goals. But um, <laughs> But I would say in general, we take a look and we try to analyze what are short-term and long-term goals. Um, and that can vary by person. But short-term might be um, I'm investing now because I want to upgrade my house uh, over the next ten years. And I want to make the money to do that. That's a short-term goal. Um, I want to buy a vacation property sometime in the next 10 years. Um, my kids are going to be going to college, uh, you know, six years from now. Um, those kinds of things. Those are shorter term goals. Longer term goals, retirement planning, um, health care planning, which is a greater issue these days. 
could be legacy assets. In other words, I want to pass things on uh, to my kids, my grandkids, those kinds of investments. Um, it, it could be that I want to uh, do charitable donations, and this is the way I wish to have them staggered. Those tend to be longer-term goals. Um, I think what we try to do in that case is what we'd call ladder with quotes around it, uh, the investments to meet the specific time frame of the goals. For example, stocks may not be appropriate with goals less than five years. They may be very appropriate for goals 20 plus. Okay. Are there any well, other? Well, let, let me jump in here. You've mentioned this a couple times, and I've I'd never even considered it in terms of, or in the same context as investing about healthcare. Um, wh where are you going with that? Well, um, this is one of those age-related things to uh, off of the last question. Um, as people get closer to, quote, retirement, or let's just call it non-formal working, because I don't know what retirement means anymore, but non-formal working, um, they have to face, they, they, you know, they face the kind of issues you have to face with Medicare, uh, you know, Medicaid, or whatever it may be that they have to, they're starting to look into. And there's a lot of numbers out there, but the number that we see most often is the average couple, I'll use a couple because I know the number, will spend an additional $200,000 on healthcare related expenses in retirement, above and beyond whatever government assistance they have. Wow. And where that comes in, in terms of the investment planning process is, and this has happened many times with clients um, that we've you know, gotten after, after this has happened, is one or the other of the spouses may eat up those health care dollars and there's nothing left for the spouse who survives. Wow. That could be for assisted living, um, it could be for critical care, it could be for anything. And so when we're talking about where dollars should be used for investing, this is part of the discussion we have to have. In other words, um, not if they're 22 coming in, but if they're 60 or 55, we have to start planning for that potential. Okay. Wow. Things I never even thought about. Yeah, there's um, a there's a lot of discussions you have as you approach um, the non-working stages of our lives um, and that are um, eye-opening and somewhat scary. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it's time for a commercial break. Um, when we come back, we'll be talking with Peter more about investment options and how investor you should proceed with some of these decisions. Stay with us. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Get ready to experience a more fulfilling lifestyle. Tune in to Direct Connect Empowerment with host Fee Mazanke. The show will feature guests who have changed their lives by using the Direct Connect coaching program or have worked with the same concepts that this program offers. By hearing how others have been transformed, you will be inspired to move forward. Direct Connect Empowerment with Fee Mazanke can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Be Mighty, Balancing Your Money and Your Time with Katie Marley. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send us an email to b-myte at b-myte.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Be Mighty, Balancing Your Money and Your Time. So far, we've been exploring how investor you should analyze if investing is really a good choice for her to specifically um, do. Now that we have done some detailed review of this, how do we proceed? So, I guess the question then, you know, how, how do we proceed? Um, we've looked at our analysis at, at our specific situation and, you know, okay, we have the financial planning in place. Um, we've looked at the health care, these different issues. Um, kids are through college. So, yeah, we've now said that, okay, investments, this is a good option to explore. What types of investment options are there? And are there different options that are better for different people? Yes. <laughs> First, many, <laughs> many, many and yes. Uh, um, please expand. Thank you. Um, one, one thing that a lot of people hear about are all the different kinds of investments that got us into trouble in 2007 and 2008, which are broadly described as derivatives. Um, and so the financial service industry can create innumerable amount of products that are complex, that don't make a lot of sense, uh, that promise good results. But all of these various investments out there have certain kinds of things in their core. And I'll tell you about those core investments. This is kind of the basic uh, level of investing, if you will. First, there are what we call liquid investments. These can be CDs, certificates of deposit, money market funds, uh, banks or online, uh, and various interest-bearing accounts. Next on kind of this hierarchy uh, would be bonds. There's a myriad of types of bonds out there. Uh, Most people don't know, but the bond market dwarfs the stock market. I mean, it is enormous compared to the stock market. And there's a variety of different kinds of bonds. You can buy government bonds. That can be U.S. government. That could be state. Uh, that can be municipal, which means city or entity. There's corporate bonds, bonds that corporations issue. There's international bonds. that may be from Europe. They can be from emerging markets. There are stocks. We refer to those equities, but commonly called stocks. And they vary by size where they're located, but generally uh, 
represent an ownership in an organization, a business entity. Then there's collections of investments, and these can be bonds, and these can be stocks, they can be separate or combined in mutual funds. And these are a grouping of different kinds of investments managed by an investment professional. Uh, On the insurance side, there are annuities, and people can purchase a fixed annuity, which offers a certain rate of return over a certain period, or they can buy what's called variable annuities, where the performance of that annuity uh, varies based upon the investor's investments in what are called sub-accounts, which are very much like mutual funds within that annuity. Then there's real estate. You can invest in real estate directly, buying a piece of property, or indirectly with a group of other investors buying uh, commercial, residential, um, leisure properties, whatever. Those are kind of the basic investments out there. So one of the... One of the barriers to understanding a lot of this, and you've probably heard this before, is the actual unique language and the and the different uses of the words. And some people find this really scary or basically it's a mystery. What areas do you find are the most difficult based upon your experience of working with your clients and how, how is that resolvable? Well, it is difficult. I mean, uh, like most professions, investing has its own jargon, and that can be used uh, to advantage or to um, hide uh, certain meanings that may otherwise, if you spoke uh, plain English, um, not not make the client um, part of the investment. Um, so that's one thing there. I think. Um, but from my experience, uh, under most clients have a difficulty understanding the. Uh, what we call the technical terminology of investing. These are the kinds of things that can be discussed on, you know, whatever market show you may watch, but it will talk simply about things like what is a support level or what is a resistance level, uh, which means, you know, where, uh, where a lot of people buy something or sell something. Um, they have difficulty trying to get a handle on the various kinds of asset classes and stocks now, what's a big cap stock? What's a mid cap stock? What's a small cap stock? Uh, alternative investments have their own nomenclature and jargon. Uh, what is an alternative investment? What does that mean? Um, but I think once people get down to basic terminology, the most difficult uh, thing for clients to understand, at least in my experience, has been things that are related to bonds. Stocks, they kind of get in the sense that they figure, well, it's got to go up here for me to make money. And if it goes down here, I'm not. Uh, But bonds and yield, those two words and their inner relation um, are very confusing. So can you explain that? Well, I will tell you exactly what it means. Bonds are, the performance of bonds are inversely related to a rise or lowering of interest rates. That's simple. But that becomes very complex for people to understand. Um, Is it good if the bond price goes up or is it bad? What's the effect? And so understanding what a yield on bond is, is difficult. Um, We can use a simple example. Let's say a bond is worth $1,000 and it promises to pay you $100 a year. That is a 10% yield. If this hypothetically, that bond's value moved up to $2,000, doubled, and it still only paid $100 a 
in terms of its yield, I mean, in terms of its uh, dividend, then the yield will have dropped to 5%. And so sometimes what clients will say is, oh my gosh, my yield's down. Well, your yield's down because the price of your investment went up. And that's very uh, hard for people to get their heads around. Yeah, that's that's really counterintuitive there. It is. It's, it's, it's actually counterintuitive is the best way we try to explain it to people. There's Think the another, opposite of what you're thinking. <laughs> there's another word that you threw out um, a little bit ago, annuities. What is that? Well, I, I put crossbars up on that one. Um, annuities can be um, an investment, and they become a very popular investment, particularly for retirement planning. But annuity is a contract with an insurance company. And the insurance company uh, promises to do certain things, some of which are guaranteed by that uh, insurance company, as long as you follow the rules and regulations that guide that contract. They're very complex. They're sold very simply. Um, we put your money in. We guarantee a certain rate of return if this happens. That tends to be a fixed. Um, there's all kinds of variables inside annuities. The, some are very simple. Some are very complex. Some rely on uh, their relation to certain indexes, stock market indexes or something. Uh, some guarantee that you won't lose this uh, and you can't gain more than that. So they're, they're very complex, um, but they do have some advantages for investors, especially those who um, may have maxed out their ability to make tax-deferred investing through their IRA or 401k plan. Uh, annuities being an insurance contract uh, allow the investments inside the annuity to grow tax-deferred until they're taken out. So they can be a powerful tool for some financial planning. They're not necessarily appropriate for everyone. With the words that um, people are having to pick up, is there a lot of uh, confusion that can actually, they can misunderstand even from a simplicity perspective and make the wrong decision? Absolutely. Um, that's that second part that I mentioned when we talk to clients. If you, the best we can do is have them explain back to us what it is they think they just heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, otherwise what you end up getting in those conversations is a nodding of the head, which one could take for understanding and acceptance, but most likely is just kind of a polite thing about wanting to be embarrassed that you don't understand. So, again, uh, we ask the clients to challenge us on the jargon. We're all going to slip into it, uh, but try to get down to the basics. So what does this mean to me? You know, what are the risks to me uh, and make it as much to me as you can. That makes sense. There's another term that I've heard, um, dollar cost averaging. What is that? Well, uh, along with compounding, it's one of the wonders of the financial world. Uh, dollar cost averaging typically means a systematic purchasing uh, pattern into investments over time. What happens there, let's, I'll use a uh, 401k plan for those who are familiar with it, uh, a retirement plan uh, offered at you know, lots of different companies, versus choosing a certain day to put all your money to work, hoping that that is 
the best day or it may even be the worst day in the market that year. Um, regularly, monthly, whatever, adding to your investments over time lowers the average cost of those investments because you not only buy when the market happens to be high, but you happen to buy when it's low. So you're not picking a specific date that you know, you've chosen for whatever reason to put your money at risk. Um, it's what we would recommend in a 401k plan. Uh, in general, people were to ask us, uh, and it actually does uh, take out the sting so that you know, when the market's down, it's not a bad time for you because you don't need that money today. It's a good time because you're buying there. So it's been said that investing in a stock is like being an actual owner of the company. What should an investor you expect as an owner of a stock? Well, again, we go back to that little Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> but um, it truly, stocks do represent an ownership position in the com- company. Bonds, on the other hand, are a debtor position. You are lending them money and they have a promise to pay, but you get no vote, so to speak, on what that company does. Stock, on the other hand, you have no right to as a debtor, but you do are an owner. So you actually get to vote on those company-related issues uh, that require ownership decisions. So whether it be the board of directors or major initiatives in the company that they have to bring out to the owners, you as a shareholder get a chance to vote. And while for most of it, that ownership position is very limited, i.e. small, you have to then think your success in this particular investment is directly related to the performance of the stock, not necessarily of the company. The company can be doing great. It can be making money hand over fist, well-managed, well-positioned, but because it comes to disfavor or whatever reason in the market, the price of that stock may go down even though everything went well. Clients are often surprised by that. Earnings come out, the company did great, and the stock went down, trying to figure that out. So that's a, while you're an owner, you're going to have to live the life of an owner, which means you're not always in control of your destiny, that markets or whatever may do things to you that, you know, you did your best to avoid. So it's like uh, riding a roller coaster. <laughs> well, it can be. This is what, what forces, uh, this is one of the big uh, issues in investing, has been for quite a while, is that executives are rewarded for the performance of the stock, not necessarily the company. And that tension, uh, in other words, if, uh, if I lower my employment cost by laying off a bunch of employees and that has my stock go up because the market likes that, is that a good or a bad thing? Hmm. So aligning, and corporations more and more are trying to align as best they can, the executive compensation to more than just the performance of the stock. That actually would make sense that it seems like their performance or the performance of the company should be more of a basis for the compensation than the performance of the stock. Right. And you got to follow the money as always in this case. And so if the executive is, is granted a majority of their income comes from the stock grantings, it's in their best interest in this case, economic anyway, to have that stock price go up. Hmm. And so changing the compensation, uh, which is difficult uh, in corporate America, I think would add a little more stability uh, to companies in general um, and to the marketplace. So, okay. 
Investor you says, I'm ready to start investing. There's this jargon I need to learn. There's these counter, very counterintuitive things I have to learn. How long does it take to get enough knowledge to start doing this without just kind of the flipping a coin sort of thing? Um, and if I don't have a professional such as yourself doing it, how much time should di- per day should I plan on watching my stocks or keeping up with all the details? Boy, you know, it, that is probably the toughest question that I'll be asked today uh, because there is no direct answer. Um, but um, I think uh, I take a look at it as if, if you're out trying to do it on your own, uh, you're challenged right now because of the amount of data that's available to you on the Internet, all kinds of sources, but certainly on the Internet is a major one. So somehow you've got to sift through the data that's available to you. Then out of that, you've got to call what you can to kind of be informative relative to what you're thinking of doing. So that takes time. Um, once you get that information that you want to take a look at, you've got to look at it, you've got to analyze it further, and then you have to, as best you can, make a knowledgeable decision. And I think that most investors, if they want to take uh, the time, and maybe I'll talk a little bit about how much time I think it might be, to do that, they can get to knowledge. Um, I think the second, maybe the final stage, if you will, uh, which in my world I call wisdom, uh, requires a lot of time because that's where you've gone beyond knowledge. You've tested your knowledge in the marketplace. (laughs) You found out where it's lacking, Mm -hmm. in other words, where you've made mistakes. And you take that information to continue to make better decisions. And that takes a long time. Um, and you can listen to Warren Buffett in his folksy way. Well, he's been doing it for, you know, 60-plus years. So that takes there. But I think for most people, um, if they're doing it on their own, don't start big. Start small. Take the time to learn one thing. Uh, track it before you invest in it. Um, get a handle on what information you use to analyze whatever that investment is, again, before you actually do it. Uh, I can tell you for clients of ours who uh, like to uh, look at their investments and and like to understand them and kind of work with us as a team, so to speak, um, I would say it takes at least an hour a day for them just to take a look at the information, listen to whatever, and that's you know, if they're not particularly inclined to want to do that. So they've said, you know, in the past, some of the, one of the main rules of investing is never invest money you can't afford to lose. This sounds a lot like gambling. Can you expand on this uh, quickly and kind well, of... Uh, so, so that, that, that kind of uh, rule, uh, not investing what you can't afford to lose. Uh, and can I just thoughts? interrupt right here? Because we have to go to a commercial break. So when we come back... Can you explain this gambling versus investing money? Um, So, yeah, stay with us. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. 
Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Absurd Psychology. Straight answers without all the bull. Hosted by Dr. Gary Bell. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Be Mighty, Balancing Your Money and Your Time with Katie Marley. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send us an email to b-myte at b-myte.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Be Mighty, Balancing Your Money and Your Time. So far, we've been exploring how investor you should proceed with learning the language. And one of the interesting um, areas that we left off had to do with the comparative of investing and gambling. Peter, could you explain a little bit more about this? Because I think that, you know, people love gambling, but, you know, that's pretty much a variety of different ways to do that. But this is one where you don't want to just be out there gambling, I would presume. Um, no, and, and yeah, it was uh, the break. We were talking about the difference between trading and investing. And um, the way I look at it, trading is a lot like gambling. Um, but to be to be very serious about it, that when you invest in stocks, when you invest in bonds, uh, when you invest in most things other than some of those liquid things I talked about, uh, the risk of loss is very real and pronounced. Um, it can be devastating at times. And if you're not prepared for that potential, uh, putting that money at risk may not be a good decision. So if attitudinally or your need requires that that money not be put at risk, then we're back to some of those liquid investments, CDs, maybe government bonds, which actually do have a level of risk that can be appropriate. Um, and when, you, when you're putting money in something that you're not necessarily in control of, others are controlling the value. For example, the stocks, they don't know that you own them kind of a thing. Um, the market may make all kinds of actions that have nothing to do with fundamental financial decision-making. Uh, the world events happen at all times that affect how people feel about the markets. Uh, People putting their money to work in the um, stock market in 2006, 2007, in many cases saw those levels decline 50% in the ensuing 12 months. Wow. Um, If people putting their money to work in March of 2000 never got back to even if they stuck it out for 11 and a half years. So the risk is very real. Um, and what we try to tell people is there's 
you know, when you look at your money, the amount of money that you might take on a trip to Las Vegas if you wanted to go out of the state, that you're saying, I'm going to go have kind of a good time. I hope to make some money, but I'm prepared the fact I probably won't, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, in many cases, that may be appropriate for speculative kinds of investments, of which stocks are some. Um, there's ways to modify that risk, manage that risk, minimize that risk, but there's no way to eliminate it. So what is, I know we've, we've heard about different industries having a lot of changes happening. So what is the, on the horizon for money and wealth management that we would be looking at from trends that would be helpful for us to know about coming forward? Well, uh, when I started in, in the business 20 plus years ago, um, all the information, the majority of the information on financial investments were held at what we call the brokerage level. So whether it was Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, uh, typical Wall Street firms, they had the information. They had analysts. They had access to the information. There was no great internet or anything going on at that point. So if you wanted to access that information, you had to go to one of these people, of which I was one at the time. Um, Things have changed. Now, for good or bad, there's lots of information out there. Uh, Too much information, making it really harder for people to uh, deal with it. So one thing that's happened is is because uh, the information is more readily available, more advisors such as myself have broken off from the typical Wall Street firms and have gone independent where they feel they can more beneficially serve clients. So that's one major trend that we're having. Uh, We're getting more and more uh, independent advisors out there who uh, hopefully have the client's best interest in mind. I'm not saying the others do not, but I'm saying hopefully these others do. Um, The other thing that happens, like in all industries, the world according to Peter, is there's consolidation. So we are getting consolidation within each of the different investment um, providers out there. Uh, people are buying XYZ. We see that in banking. You know, bigger is better. So these houses get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, there's a lot of bad and there's some good in that. I think the other thing that happens now is the newest thing is kind of robo-advisors that we're saying. So you can call up on the Internet or you can call up however you're going to do. Give somebody your basic financials and they will tell you uh, a sample allocation based on that. And it's going to be very low cost. Uh, the quality of information is what it is, but it's an option, and that seems to be a growing channel. In other words, you know, direct, less time, cheaper. Um, Well, that kind of actually brings up the next question about all these advertisements, and I know I've seen tons of things on jumping in and becoming a day trader, Um, all these, you know, do it yourself with the day trading, the robo-advisors like you spoke of. Um, all these different say, things, you know, invest here, invest here, invest here. How do you sort through all that? <laughs> uh, turn it off. <laughs> uh, that, that is true. But anyway, I mean, you have that there. I mean, one of the things that gets me, for example, is that, and, and some people try to address this on the opposite side, but the, the ad comes on, the music comes on. Uh, and they're saying, you know, well, I never would have bought my vineyard if it hadn't been for Bob. You know, my advisor, when I, when I went into retirement, well, most people aren't going to do that. You know, that retirement's not going to look like that. So I think that's one false thing. Get down to what you think your retirement might want to look at. 
versus some hypothetical thing. Uh, the other thing is, again, simple, too simplistic is the, and I won't name the provider, but the green line. Just simply follow the green line. You know, I don't know where you end up, but it sounds like a lemming to me. Um, those, so those are kinds of things. I think the key is that if it, if it sounds too good to be true, <laughs> it is. And if it sounds too simple in a very complex world, it's probably not. So I think just do your own due diligence. I think uh, the other key is that anytime people uh, present any of these things, you know, grit, rich, quick, be it real estate, be it stock trading, or <laughs> I saw one for options trading, which is a very complex thing to do, is, oh, Ma and Pa are going to be doing option trading. Um, avoid them. Uh, do Get down to the basics. Again, if you don't understand it, don't do it. It's kind of like don't invest if you can't lose it. Yeah, I mean, I, I say don't invest if you can't lose it, and two, if you don't understand it. Right. That makes sense. So if with uh, taking a look at investor you as a typical person, knowing that they have uh, investments that they want to do and they have um, want to get started with doing things in the correct step, what suggestion do you have for um, investor you to stay active in the process? Because I think that I've, I've heard of people getting started, going full bore and getting bored with it or overwhelmed, and then they kind of drop it, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I think that's typical of, of a lot of things, <laughs> investing included. You know, you get involved first. Um, I think, again, you have to get back to what's important. And so um, if I were talking to investor you, and I was saying, you know, what things do I want to consider maybe about uh, when I'm thinking about investments? Um, I would think about, again, I got down to understanding. I would say, you know, what is it? What is it that I'm looking at investing? Can I get my head around that? How does it work? Um, what are the risks? Uh, what's the potential? In other words, is, this, is the potential worth, worth the risk? And it may not even be monetary, it may be emotional. Uh, and what's the time frame that's required here? Is this the long haul? Is this the short haul? Do I need to pay attention to it daily? Those kinds of questions. Um, and I think one way that um, investors can stay involved is through educating themselves. Uh, we, we try our best to, uh, and it's not always successful, we try our best to educate our clients because an educated client makes better decisions and the better decisions makes our job easier. So it's, um, you know, it's mutually beneficial to have them learn more and more. Um, so, but some people, it's not their thing. Uh, they know they should invest. They're not particularly interested in it. They don't like the jargon. They don't want to spend the time doing that. They want to spend time doing what they like. Um, hire a professional. Um, ask questions. Um, find out how often they're going to talk to you and when, what kind of circumstances they're going to talk to you. And meet with them at least once a year and talk about things. Um, if things change in the middle, either in the investor use life, they get married, they get divorced, someone dies, whatever happens to be, that's information your financial advisor, if you're working with one, needs to know. Uh, I think on the other side, uh, find a financial advisor who shares uh, things with you. In other words, what is out there that may impact of some significance my investments and how would you, if they did happen, approach those? 
So it comes back to the responsibility of investor you to actually participate and own some of this process. Uh, that's it. You can abdicate the management and not personal responsibility. Yep. Uh, ultimately, it is your money. Um, and as an investment professional, it, clients don't always think of this or something, but when we invest money for people, um, we're less, our bias is to take less risk because it's not our money, it's theirs. Uh, and so beware of, of any advisor relationship that doesn't treat your money as yours. In other words, you need to be involved in decisions, even if it's just agreeing to something uh, that seems a no-brainer at first. Um, it's your money. You should know what it's doing. Uh, you should know what environment it's in. And you should know what to expect about it. Ownership. Yeah, ownership. Uh, you, uh, it's ownership in your life. But this is just a portion of it. And this is not one of those, uh, at times, for some people, uh, not the favorite part of ownership, um, but that's the responsibility each of us has. And using the keywords of our Be Mighty approach, we have the mighty handy formula of foundation, focus, feel, flow, fun, and freedom. From your perspective, Peter, what is the one thing someone should do each day to be mighty as they approach? What do you do with it? Well, using those terms, I wish I had one thing. I actually have a combination, sort of a flow. <laughs> Talk fast. Easy formula. Um, I'd say focus. And the first thing is to focus on yourself. You know, what is your situation? Um, have you done the work beforehand to get your, quote, financial life in order? Do you have a good understanding of where you are? And once you accomplish that, then focus on what it is you want to do to move forward in your life. Okay? And if that involves investing as a portion of that, that's great. So then focus on investing for that portion of your life that you have to move forward. So that's the first F. I think the second one is freedom. And again, not freedom from responsibility or accountability, but, but that's to me anyway what investing or money in general provides. It doesn't provide a lot of other things, but it does provide, if it's successful, some freedom of choices. It enables you to make choices you might not otherwise be able to make. doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make them, but you have the option or the freedom to make those choices. So I find you know, money can be empowering if, if looked at correctly. That's what it is. It allows you freedom of choice, potentially, or more choices. Well, Peter, thank you for joining us today. This has been very enlightening. If any of our listeners want to contact you directly with specific questions, what is the best way for them to reach you? Well, depending on the length of the question. <laughs> um, <laughs> if it's a, if it's a, a simple question, uh, they can call uh, our phone number. We're Windrose Wealth Management uh, in Kirkland, Washington. Uh, our number is 425-889-9226. If it's a rather lengthy question or, you know, multi-layered question, uh, they can write me. Again, Windrose Wealth Management. The address is 135 7th Avenue West, Suite 201, Kirkland, Washington, 98033. Uh, I can't give specific advice uh, without knowing the individual, so the answers would be more general. So what's, if somebody wants to find you online, what's the website? WindrowsWealthManagement.com. Okay. Windrose is W-I-N-D-R-O-S-E. 
windrosewealthmanagement.com. Good. Thank you, Peter. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on here. Join us next week when we talk with Leona Rehm on October 10th at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Empowerment Channel. We're going to be talking about time. Leona has been actively helping small business owners be, be successful since 1998, and she'll be talking with us about how to better work with balancing time so that you can create a life that flourishes at home and at work beyond the limits of the clock. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining Kmar and D. Lee for Be Mighty, balancing your money and your time. Be sure to come back for another great show next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you here next week. Music.